Welcome to Joy in Learning, a podcast from the Harley School in Rochester, New York. We're an independent school for nursery through grade 12, where there's always lots of interesting learning going on for us to share with you. In today's episode, you'll hear a conversation I had with our academic dean, Lars Kuehling, where he discusses a presentation he gave to Harley parents about how we prepare students for college and beyond. Enjoy! First of all, I'd like to just get a little bit of a better understanding of, of what this program is, what this talk was, uh, and how it came about. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think uh, Larry Fry and the high school, upper school director and I were sort of talking about what it means to be college prep. Um, there are a lot of conceptions, misconceptions around that, that idea. Um, and we thought that we'd open it up not only to upper school parents, um, but really to all Harley parents that they could get an understand of the, what I call the total arc of our education um, here at Harley. Okay, great. Uh, so let's get right into it. Um, when you look at, at traditional metrics for uh, college admissions, uh, how does Harley stack up? Uh, very well. Um, you know, there's the concept of college readiness, which uh, we can talk about and, uh, quite frankly, we can brag about all day long. Um, Harley, for instance, in the area, leads uh, and has led for many years on SAT scores. Uh, we've had the highest uh, SAT scores, combined SATs, in Monroe County for a number of years. Um, our advanced placement tests uh, and our test scores on that are fantastic. Um, you know, our percentage rates run ahead of, of other schools um, significantly in terms of scores um, there. Um, 86% of all of our advanced placement tests um, had a score of a three or higher out of a five-point scale. Uh, nationally, it's about 57%. Um, in the area of uh, sort of the sciences and maths, uh, math areas, calculus and biology, et cetera, uh, 97% of our students scored a three or better on that five-point score. Nationally, only about two-thirds of students score that well. Um, so by those measures, we're doing really well. Um, I think the real measure, though, of a, of a college prep, uh, college preparatory curriculum is what colleges are your students accepted to uh, and at what rate. Uh, Larry Fry, the upper school director, did a little study a couple years ago. I think it's about a year, year out. Uh, and sort of compared us on three different metrics. One would be uh, U.S. News and World Report's top 15 um, national liberal arts colleges, places like Amherst, Bowdoin, Haverford, Swarthmore, Vassar, Wesleyan. Uh, and there our students uh, were admitted uh, at a 37% admit rate, not 100%, uh, but the average uh, sort of admit rate to those schools was 20%. So we were double that. Uh, top 15 national universities, Brown, uh, UChicago, Columbia, Dartmouth, Hopkins, uh, Princeton, Washington University, etc. Um, our students, again, were admitted at twice the rate of the, the sort of national rate, and even at the Ivy League. Um, nationally, about 9% of students are accepted to Ivy League schools. Uh, our students were accepted at a 15% rate. Um, you know, so by that metric, by college acceptance rates, uh, we're running uh, close to two times the national averages, which I think is pretty significant. 
Uh, so let, let's look at, so we've got that, that idea of, of the standard metric. Uh, talk to me about, about some of the other uh, philosophies in terms of, of how we're preparing kids, not only to, to excel on tests, uh, but for, uh, for life in general and, and more, more adult interactions that they're going to have at the college level and beyond. Sure. Um, I, I think I disagree with you a little bit, Art. I don't think that we are ever specifically preparing our students to excel in tests. Um, they just do it. Um, <laughs> it it's, uh, it's an outcome of ours, even though it's never something that our teachers would do. And I, I think you'd have a rebellion in our teachers if, if, uh, if they heard the idea that we were trying to prepare students for uh, first tests. It, it's, it's just not who we are. Uh, we're preparing students to lead lives of great purpose, right? Um, in my world, there's this guy um, by the name of, of Yang Zhao, uh, who's an educational researcher, sort of an educational futurist, who's a professor at the University of Kansas. He is a um, distinguished professor there, and he's written just so much material. He's very prolific, um, and he's done so much research on it. Um, and he looks into sort of standardized test scores across international boundaries. Uh, he's an expert on Chinese, uh, the Chinese educational system. He looks at ed tech. But the thing that I'm really interested in that he does is he's uh, really big into um, education and fostering an entrepreneurial spirit uh, with students. Because he says in our race to have test scores that get kids into college uh, that are quote-unquote making them college ready, we're not getting them what he says out of the basement ready. Um, and you kind of chuckle at that idea, but what he's really referencing is so many students today go away to college prepared to take tests, but they're not prepared for the things that they need to do in college to then be ready to get out of college and lead a life of great purpose, get out there in the community, start a job, uh, find a job, create their own job, join in a community organization and, and be a, a social entrepreneur. Um, be a person who's, uh, in his words, uh, not filling jobs, uh, but creating jobs. Um, you know, and so that's really what I think Harley is fantastic at. Um, you know, he, he talks about having to shift the educational paradigm from preparing job seekers to job creators, from imposing upon children what a small group of people defines as valuable knowledge and skills, uh, to supporting students to find, the, to find and follow their own passion. Um, and that's the difference maker because our, our kids do a great job on tests, but for us, it's about igniting that passion, about helping them find that spark, um, that will then make them lifelong learners who can, who can create meaning and value. So then, uh, talk to me about how, uh, how our students will have, a. a a different experience when they get to college. What what is it about that type of learner who isn't just prepared to take a test? Who who goes beyond in their learning experience? How does their college experience differ? Uh, you know, our, during grad school, I had the opportunity to be uh, a teaching assistant, uh, and what I saw quite often with students uh, was that uh, there was a real disconnect between them and the professor. So, you know, in your first year, you might actually end up being in a lecture class. Maybe it's 50 kids. Maybe at a, a larger state university, it's 300 kids. Um, but there's a distance. Uh, you're not engaged. You're, you, you don't have that personal relationship. Uh, our students from day one, it's starting in, in nursery and moving through primary and 
up through the middle school and into the upper school, they learn how to relate to, to their teachers. They learn how to ask questions. Um, there's sort of a, an intellectual uh, level of comfort of actually questioning uh, what a teacher says. Um, and quite frankly, when I was in grad school, the professors would talk about the fact that teaching kids was not always gratifying because they weren't being challenged themselves. Um, you know, so our kids get out, and if they're in a large lecture class, they're sitting in the front row. Uh, they're the ones with their hands up. They're asking the questions. They're seeking out the professor during office hours uh, to not only ask points of clarification, uh, but to say, you know, I'm thinking this. What do you think? Well, what's the benefit of that? First of all, it gets you personalized attention. Secondly, it makes a name for yourself so that when it comes time to get into an honors program, uh, to say, you know, write an honors thesis in history or uh, to do a lab science and to be selected for uh, additional funding and, and get a mini grant or something, uh, you're going to be first in line. Uh, I think it also leads to uh, an ability for our students to grab internships uh, because they've made a name for themselves. And internships, if you're out in the business world, then become jobs. Um, and so there's a real leg up there. Um, but to me, it starts, you know, it, it starts with that level of respect that you see in the hall uh, when you walk by somebody such as Jay Stetzer. You know? I sit there and I get to watch Jay transitioning students, uh, primary students, from his creative movement class to an art class. There's never a second of downtime. I've seen other schools where a teacher's killing time. They're talking to their colleagues. They're looking at their watch, checking their phone. Not Jay. He's sitting there engaging the students in a conversation. He's treating them as not necessarily his 100% equal, but he's treating them in a way that they know that he's interested in their ideas. And then they'll say something, and I love this, he'll ask them a question to get them to clarify their thought. And that's really cool. <laughs> you know, a gentleman who's an experienced teacher of over 40 years who is engaging students in a way that values them and teaches them to feel valued. So... Um, I think it goes a long way. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the lower school uh, because it, as, a, as a parent of a, a middle schooler uh, and as a staff member, I see a lot of these principals beginning in lower school and then working their way up through middle school and upper school. Uh, talk to me about how the curriculum uh, builds and sort of interweaves as it goes from class to class and from grade to grade. Uh, let, let's step back and talk concepts, not content. Uh, I think we all know the, the, you know the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic, and we do a bunch of, of all those things. And I mean, look at, look at the test scores, and it's clear that we're, we're teaching the content that the kids have to know. Um, but I'm a little more focused on what are the concepts that we, weave themselves through the, the curriculum. So Larry Fry, the upper school director, loves to talk about metacognition. How is it that we think about what we're doing in the classroom? How are we getting the upper school students to step back and say, how do I think and how do I learn? Um, I think sometimes upper school teachers would want to take all the credit for it, but I look at like Mr. C and, and Nancy Barrett in second grade, right? Every single unit that they do, whether it be the, the post office that's about to launch or the, the creek walk that they're going to do back in the fall, every unit starts with a mind map up on the board. And the first question they ask is, what do we know? And the students just brainstorm, brainstorm, brainstorm. I, I think actually, Art, you had a, a picture of one of those up on our website. And it was like, th there it is. There's metacognition made real to us through, uh, through the whiteboard. 
Um, what's fun is, is they're not only getting the kids to name the content, the facts they know, but they're beginning to get them to con- categorize what's going on there. They're getting them to say, okay, this fits over here, but it also connects to this. Um, so there's a, an analytical part to that metacognition as well uh, that forces the kids to do critical thinking. Um, you know, it's, it, that's just one example. You, you can look at other examples in the lower school where uh, the kids are being taught to think about uh, how they learn. Um, you know, I look at like PBL, uh, project-based learning. There's some great stuff going on there. Um, you know, Amy Grafrida had a, a course or a, a unit with third and fourth graders uh, where they saw and identified that our um, nursery kids uh, needed places to sit on our, our new playground. So the playground is sort of a natural playground, uh, and there's a stump out there for them to sit on, but they just didn't, didn't have gathering space, sort of social space. Um, and a problem was identified, and so it was given to the third and fourth graders to solve. Well, they went as third and fourth graders and interviewed three and four-year-olds, found out what they needed, and they had to do some translating from three and four-year-old talk, um, and they decided that they could use some picnic benches. Well, the easiest thing to do would have been to go out and buy the picnic benches, right? But that would be disposable, and that wouldn't teach kids to do anything that would solve a problem. Um, So instead, they uh, researched uh, picnic bench design. Um, They went into our commons building, went to the workshop there. Uh, They helped cut the materials. They drilled the materials. They assembled the picnic benches. Uh, They stained them, and then they presented them to the three- and four-year-olds. Uh, it took maybe three or four week, work, weeks to get through that. Uh, but when they did, they had successfully collaborated. They had solved a problem. Uh, and they'd given, uh, like Yao Zong talks about, they'd given something back. They had created something uh, for others in the community. What a great example. Um, we could have done that in two days, um, but the depth wouldn't have been there. Um, so I think that's, you know, key to sort of your question about the lower school and early preparation. So how does that idea of, of going deeper into a particular topic, how does that translate into college? Um, well, let's go to the middle school. Uh, and let's go to the middle school schedule first. Uh, because it intrigues me in a lot of ways. The middle school, several years ago, the teacher said, it, it isn't working for us to rush through things. Uh, middle school students are too rushed. Um, there's too much going on, there's too much confusion. Uh, And they redid their schedule from sort of 40-minute time periods uh, that may fit at other divisions, but to a longer period, I think it's 80, 85 minutes, um, every other day. Um, They're still teaching the same content, but they're teaching it differently. It's at a pace that gives the kids some time for reflection. Uh, It doesn't feel as if they're just being crammed full of knowledge. Uh, middle school is a time where you start to lose student passion oftentimes. And I think it's because you're not making time for them to reflect and draw connections. Uh, you get somebody like Dan O'Brien in his, uh, in his math classes, whether it be algebra or geometry, uh, and he's using technology to engage the kids. Um, but it's a tool. It's nothing more than a tool, an opportunity for them to use that uh, to deepen their, their learning and be engaged. And then he's spending a lot of time with them just talking about the language of math. Uh, and they're, they're sort of stepping back. You could just say to a kid, okay, here's an equation, plug and chug, finish it. He does some of that because they do need to have that. But then he asks the kids to draw comparisons between that and another way of solving a problem. 
uh, and they're being forced to to learn to uh, you know figure it out on their own uh, in a new way. Um, another example is recently, um, Mr. S. Uh, Raj uh, had the kids down in the commons, and I think he must have spent three weeks at least uh, on this thing uh, on this unit on Mesopotamia and the rise of early civilization. The key concept that he was trying to get across to students was um, why did civilization arise in Mesopotamia? What were the factors that were there? When I was a kid, teacher would have stood up at the front and, you know, uh, in a bad scene out of Ferris Bueller's Day Off or something, just gone on and lectured. Um, you know, Mesopotamia was a place where it arose because it had two rivers that came together, it flooded, done. Uh, Raj had him playing with a sand table and, and drawing things together uh, for weeks. Uh, and it was intriguing because he said, okay, here's the sand table. We're going to run water down through this. How could you solve the problem of flooding? How could you do irrigation? Um, the very first thing that he said after he posed that question was, talk, communicate, and compromise. Right? Talk, communicate, and compromise. Uh, when you get thrown into a college setting and for the first time ever, if you've never done it before in your life, you're required to talk, communicate, and compromise, you're going to be hitting your head against the, the wall quite frequently. Um, our students, uh, in contrast, have had that group experience. They've really had to wrestle with a problem uh, as a group uh, and find a way to explain to each other what they know, what ideas they have, and then to find a workable solution. It's not you know, that you came up with a solution or, or I came up with a solution, so we take some of the ego out of it. But together, uh, we're going to find the best solution. And I think that that's one of those college readiness things, uh, one of those skills uh, that's much, much deeper and much far beyond just a test score. So finally, what, talk to me a bit about how all of these concepts can come together. Uh, we've talked about how it can um, help kids when they get to the college stage. How do you think that this fosters the concept of lifelong learning, uh, of of becoming joyful lifelong learners? Well, yeah, I think if you if you look at our students, they really enjoy what they're doing. Um, at the nursery level, we use play as a vehicle. You're not sitting down being forced to learn in a certain way. The teachers are, uh, in many ways, guiding and then reacting to uh, what what the student play looks like. So that that I think sets up joy in learning. You see that through the lower school as uh, students get to explore and discover a lot of teacher guidance. And actually, I would say that probably takes more work <laughs> for a teacher than just doing worksheets all day. Um, middle school, again, we, we schedule differently. We, we pose challenge differently. We give some depth. You know, our, our math counts team, uh, a group of students just did wonderfully um, at, um, the, at the math counts regional competition. We'll be going on state. That's a byproduct, though, of fostering their joy in math. Um, and so they're really passionate about it. When you get to the upper school, it becomes a little different because it's almost as if you're in college as an upper schooler. Walk by uh, Betsy Vinton's room. The kids affectionately call her DV for Dr. Vinton. Um, and they are on a level that you would see with, say, a third or fourth year student with a trusted faculty advisor. There's a give and take, a back and forth, a level of respect between them that translates to college, but then I would say translates to the job world. They're learning skills that when they get to college they or to, to the job, uh, that they will have on the job that other people will not. 
if you've never interacted with an adult who is an authority figure in a relational way, it's always been do this, do that, but instead you've had to negotiate and say, I think we could do it differently and you know, uh, put your input in, you're not gonna be very successful in the job world eventually. Um, some of our kids, it's traditional business. You know, some go on to be MDs. We had a, a ton of kids recently uh, uh, who came out of the, maybe the class of 2008 or something who went on to be MDs. Um, others might find it in the arts. Uh, others might be uh, out there doing advocacy work or, or uh, social projects. Um, but I think that that's one of those distinguishing things. They've got a joy, a passion for what they're doing. Um, and at the same time, they have sort of a, a facility for uh, interacting with others in a way that, that not all students are going to be prepared for. So uh, hopefully that helps and, you know, be glad to talk about it further, but um, that we just do it differently here. And I think it really works well. Well, I, I tend to agree with you. And, and I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know you've got a lot going on, uh, but this is all wonderful information. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share it with us. Sure. Thanks. My pleasure being with you, Art. Thanks for joining us today on Joy in Learning, a Harley Schools podcast. We look forward to sharing interesting stories, discussing educational topics, and exploring ideas with you on our next episode. See you again soon.